That's a great prayer there at the end of this uh, particular hymn, carol we've just been singing. Uh, Do you notice that? The second half of the last verse. uh, It's a real prayer, and it's one we can be praying uh, right now. It's asking uh, the Lord, now display thy saving power. It's God who saves. He alone can save. Uh, You and I can do nothing for other people. We can point them in the right direction, but it's God who saves, and it's a prayer. Now, now display thy saving power. Oh, for people to be saved here tonight. Uh, ruin nature. Now, restore. If you're not yet a believer, uh, you have this uh, fallen human nature. We have it from birth until the Lord intervenes. Now, restore. Now, in mystic union, join thine to ours and ours to thine. This is Christianity. It's not just knowing about God, it's knowing Him. It's a a living relationship with the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Well, I want to look at the passage that I've read uh, and look at it briefly. And I want to think to answer this particular question. Who was the first person to celebrate Christmas? Who was the first person to celebrate the Incarnation. Now, Christmas, the first Christmas took place, it's probably around about 4 BC. Herod dies in 4 BC and we know that he's the king. So 4 or 5 BC, these events take place. Uh, Augustus has issued a decree that the whole world should be uh, taxed. So a great movement of people and uh, so there, the, the dates are round about there. But when it comes to the month and the day, we, we have no real clue, no real uh, idea. Uh, the early church uh, fixed on the 25th of December. Uh, and there was a reason uh, for that. It was already a festival. It was already a holiday period. So Christians landed on something that was already a holiday And at that time, chose, and we do it all year long. I'm I'm amazed by this greatest of miracles. I mean, Wesley puts it in the hymn we'll sing at the end. He ponders it. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made made man. And uh, we reflect on that the whole year round. But there's a particular season, uh, Christmas, when we focus on the glory and the wonder of the incarnation and much preaching and teaching uh, takes place. But uh, it was a festival called Yuletide. And uh, ancient man, very concerned at this time of the year in the Northern Hemisphere that the sun was disappearing and the days were getting shorter and the nights were getting longer. So they, they prayed Uh, to the sun god that he might return. Do you know what? He did. And so they kept on doing that year uh, after year. Pagan festival, Yule time and the Yule log and Yule carols. But it was a festival. It was a holiday. So Christians, taking advantage of that, chose to remember at a particular time the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And... uh, Christians ponder and reflect on the Incarnation and celebrate the awesome wonder of the Incarnation. Just going back into uh, chapter 1, a little further back, verse 34 
Mary, when she's told by Gabriel, then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, So the angel's got some insight. The angel's been given some information to share uh, with, with Mary. How is it going to happen? Oh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the Holy One is to be born, who is to be born will be called the Son of God, the Incarnation. So this great truth uh, is revealed. Uh, God contracted to a span. The second person of the One, triune God, sent by the Father, sent with that overseeing power of God the Holy Spirit. Remember, one being, not separate in their essence and power and eternity and magnificence and knowledge, but distinct in their persons. The Holy Spirit will oversee this great uh, event and the one to be born, born of the Virgin Mary, will be the Son of of God. God becomes one of us without ceasing to be God. He becomes a man. Uh, he goes through a birth process. Uh, he's a little child in a manger uh, in Bethlehem. Uh, wonderful. Wesley here again. Uh, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Very few knew. Some shepherds are in on it. They're told they hurry down. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. There's some magi in the east. Now they see a star. But I wonder what God used to stir you initially. There's always something that sparks off a seeking of salvation. You've all got a story here, if you're a believer. A story of how you, you came. And these wise men, magi, Oh, we, we saw a star uh, rising in the east. And we deduced a, a new king had been born and we've come to worship him. And uh, they use their ordinary reasoning and they go to Jerusalem and then they're redirected through the word of God. No, it's, it's Bethlehem, it's Bethlehem. And so they hasten off to, to Bethlehem, but very few saw him. And when they saw the baby, no, no space helmet, no light around him, they saw veiled in flesh, a little baby, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. But why, why is he coming into the world? Oh, an angel says to Joseph in a dream, Joseph is concerned. He knows he's not the father. He's thinking, well, I, I'll need to divorce her quietly. Two ways of divorcing. One could be public and to humiliate the uh, the, the, the guilty party, the one could be done quietly. He chose the, the quiet way, but uh, an angel appears. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. And then these wonderful words. Why is Jesus coming into the world? She shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And there's, there's the reason. It's what it's all about, the incarnation. See, my problem is, why would God bother with somebody like me? Why would he bother with somebody like you? 
And it is this eternal love that beats in the heart of the being of the triune God. And from eternity past, He has His, his eye on you. Are you saved yet tonight? Uh, if not, he's, he's looking at you. And it's starting the eternity past. And He's made a way for your big problem to be dealt with. Why don't we rise to reach our potential? Why does this world never satisfy us? Our pastor was preaching this morning. We try this and we try that. Doesn't matter how rich we might be or how famous, there's an aching void the world can never fill. And sin has done this. We were made to know God. You know, the, the most wonderful things in, in this world are relationships, family, good friends. But the chief relationship we were made for is that which we were designed for. That relationship with the God who is there. But sin, he's holy and I'm a sinner. And the two cannot meet. All, the, all that God can do with sin is to judge it. There is a hell as much as there is a, a heaven. But see, we have to spend eternity somewhere. But God desires, what a line this is. And try and work this one out. God desires that none should perish. None, none. What would your desire be? Do you want to be saved tonight? God desires that you would be. But God desires that none should perish. But how can I get to heaven? See, religion won't do it. I might try my best. I might follow every, every edict of every religion or whatever in the world. But I'm left with my sin. I'm left with my sin. And heaven is pure. Beyond our imagination. Oh, eternal light, eternal light, how pure the soul must be. When placed within thy searching sight, it shrinks not, but with calm delight would live and look on, on thee. I need to be perfect, 100% word, thought and deed. Every moment that I've existed, nobody can reach that, but one has. One has, and his name is Jesus. And he's the eternal Son of God who became a man. Why did he come to deal with our sin? As a man, he lives a perfect life. He represents you and I. And every moment of that spotless life, from childhood through to teenage years, no teenage angst in him. We had tea and toast around our house this afternoon. Lovely, quite a number of teenagers in there and their parents as well, but teenagers are teenagers. It was a lovely time, it really was. But uh, they're difficult years, aren't they, teenagers? They're not the easiest of years. Tell you this, it doesn't get much easier. We battle all the way through with the world of flesh and the devil. But Jesus, nothing wrong. Not a thought, not a word, nor a deed. And he, he lived a spotless life for you. This is the glory of the incarnation. And then he dies as if he were you or me. And on the cross of Calvary, the Lord laid on him the penalty for sin, the punishment, the wages of sin, which is death for countless millions of people. And uh, what a wonder, what a wonder. Here it is again from, from Wesley. Mild, without, without, any, without any fight, Jesus. Oh, my son, will you go? wasn't a battle would I go for people who hated me despised me reviled me 
mild. I'll go. I'll go. Oh, the Holy Spirit, oh, I'll be, I'll be pleased to oversee this wonderful venture united in heart, mind. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a great counsels in eternity past, mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Oh, the incarnation. But anyway, the question I want to ask this evening is who was the first person ever to celebrate Christmas? You see, we got some uh, characters here. Well, was it Elizabeth? Was it Elizabeth? Now, Mary, once she'd had the news, she's been told that her cousin Elizabeth is in the sixth month of her confinement. And uh, in, in her old age, it's a miracle that's happened uh, there. So uh, we're told that Mary arose, verse 39, in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. So she doesn't lose any time uh, in doing this. Now she has to travel uh, quite a, a distance to come down uh, from the north. And uh, I don't know uh, how she traveled. It wasn't uh, on, on a coach or by train but it would have been quite, quite a journey to get down those 90 miles or so. And she arrives in Judah to a certain city. We're not told what the town was that she gets to uh, in Judah, but it's the home of Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth, her, her cousin. She wouldn't have given any prior warning. She'd have got there before any letter could have arrived. She couldn't send a text or WhatsApp or an email uh, she arrives on the doorstep. It would have been unexpected. And uh, she greets her cousin. Verse 40. She entered the house of Zechariah and she greeted uh, Elizabeth. And, uh, well, bit of a surprise to, to see Mary. They'd have known each other, certainly. Maybe they met at, at festivals uh, in, in Jerusalem and uh, as those great throngs went three times a year to those festivals in Jerusalem, she'd have known uh, her relative, but now Mary is on the doorstep. It's something of a surprise. And uh, we're told from the text that uh, she greets uh, her cousin. As she entered the house, she greeted uh, Elizabeth. So we don't know what the greeting was. Hello. And maybe there's, a, there's an embrace. Oh, how wonderful to to see what are you doing here now they don't get really beyond that and she's ushered in into the home maybe all this happens on the on the doorstep but uh, whatever we're suddenly told this uh, and it happened verse 41 it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she spoke with a loud voice and said, she gives this burst of praise. Now, verses 42 to 45, I'm told, are a, something of a poem or a, or a song. She bursts into a, a song of praise. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And she recognizes Mary and uh, the child that she is bearing. Verse 43. But why is this, is this granted to me? 
that the mother of my Lord should come to me. So there's a, there's a celebration. Elizabeth recognizes there's only been a greeting. Hello. How are you? C come in. And uh, suddenly, this burst of praise from Elizabeth. Blessed are you. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it that uh, the mother of my Lord should come to visit me? This recognition as to who Mary is and the recognition of who is in the womb of Mary. Now, how does she get such knowledge? Well, only through that work of the Holy Spirit. Here it is again, end of verse 41. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. How does she recognize? Here's a, a wonderful work of God, the Holy Spirit. And uh, he enlightens the understanding of Elizabeth, texts and passages she'd have known much about and this long-expected coming of the Messiah. It's given to her to understand uh, he's about to arrive into the world. So she is rejoicing. Is she the first person to rejoice over Christmas time? Well, she's very close, but she's not the first one. And, and, and neither is it Mary. Was she the first one to rejoice in this, this way? Well, pretty soon after Mary has uh, given her burst of praise, uh, Mary responds. Let's read from verse 45. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour. She is rejoicing. Now, it's interesting the, uh, the New King James Version puts it in a, a past tense here, rejoiced. My spirit has rejoiced. I understand from reading commentary that this better as a present. My spirit rejoices. Something's happening now in God my Saviour. Uh, I've had this burst of praise from you. My soul is now stirred to usher praise back. My soul is rejoicing in God, my Saviour. So, and then she gives the Magnificat. We're not going into that uh, this evening. But she was also not the first to rejoice in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get to it. You probably got there before me. The very first to recognize and rejoice in the coming of the Savior of the world was a developing baby in the womb of Elizabeth. And this is most, most remarkable. And I want to draw some instruction out of it. And here it is again. Let me read from verse 41. And it happened. It really did happen. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb. Now this little child in the womb there. Six months old. I mean, the angel has said to Mary, your cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month and uh, Mary makes haste to go and see her. So not long has passed before she arrives and this little child in the womb, six months in the womb and at the greeting he he leaps in the womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke with a loud voice saying, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted? Why, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Leaped in my womb for joy. A developing baby was spiritually stirred. And uh, I think there's a lot we can learn from that. We can say of John the Baptist, for that's who's in the womb. John the Baptist. Remember what the angel uh, says to uh, Zechariah about this little baby. Verse 15 of chapter 1. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is John the Baptist and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, for, for me, I became spiritually alive at the age of, of 19. I was born on the 29th of April, 1957. Some of the youngsters were asking me this afternoon. Uh, two came up to me. How old are you? I said, well, you, uh, you tell me how old you think I am. And one lad, he's here tonight, and uh, I won't uh, embarrass him. He said, well, I think you're about 70. So he's off my Christmas card list uh, straight away. But now, I was born in 1957, which makes me a, a youngster of 65. So 65 years ago, I, I was born. But in August 1976, I had a spiritual rebirth. See, the Bible's very clear. What I didn't get at the age of 19 was uh, mere religion. Now, Christianity, in a sense, is a religion. The things that we do, we go to church, we pray, we sing, uh, we, we read the Bible, we look to do uh, good works, but it's all in response to something that's happened to us. Something happened to me in Brisbane, Australia, at the age of 19. Has it happened to you? The thing is, it happened to John the Baptist before he was born. I was born again 19 years after my birth. I was born again, spiritually reborn. Jesus is very clear with an old Pharisee called Nicodemus who was seeking truth, and he comes to Jesus by night because he doesn't want to be seen by others. Maybe you're a bit of a secret seeker, but you're, you're here tonight. The Lord knows that you're, you're here now, it's going to be, I think it was it said, Alistair, that I might be in the little room at the end? Was that said? Might not have been then. Normally, I'm in the little room. Well, the, pastor, the preacher goes into this little room down here. The little room there. It's quite nice. A bit like my wife was in there recently. It's a bit like a dentist's waiting room. Well, I'll be in there. And you're invited to come and see me if you want uh, spiritual help, or if you're interested in church membership. But some might be just a little bit too embarrassed to, to do that. And maybe you just want to send me a text or an email and we might meet up somewhere neutral, maybe not even in our tea room, because that's too puppy. You might think, well, we could meet anywhere. And Nicodemus is thinking like that. I don't want other Pharisees to see I'm interested. And Jesus looks at him and says, I tell you this, Nicodemus, for all your religion, you must be born again. You must be born. There must be. A spiritual rebirth. But with John the Baptist, he was born again before he was born. 
And we're thinking about a great truth. Regeneration is the, uh, the biblical term. Regeneration. And I want us to learn some, some lessons now. Now, the first lesson I want to, us to learn about this work of, of regeneration, being born again, coming to see who Jesus is and what He has done. It's nothing that you inherit. It's nothing that I can convey on you or any other Christian can convey on you. You don't catch this by just simply, you know, you can catch a, a virus by mixing with with people who've got the virus. And if your immune system can't fight it off, you're going to catch the virus. That's not Christianity. Um, it's not just mixing with Christians and you become Christianized. You might become Christianized, but that's not, it won't get you to heaven. It won't, you must be born uh, again. So here's the first lesson. Uh, recognizing who Jesus really is is a matter of spiritual revelation. All right? It's a work of God the Holy Spirit. And let me give you some helpful texts on that. Uh, here, the first one is Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus is with his disciples around Caesarea Philippi. And at last... It's Peter who recognizes exactly who Jesus is. Jesus said to them, his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you. Happy are you. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of, of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You haven't worked that out because somebody else told it to you and you now believe it. That's not Christianity. Neither have you used your intellect to conclude that this is the case. I'll tell you how it's happened, says Jesus. My Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. Now there's a certain type of preaching and I'm, I, I'm not against it. Really, I'm not, and uh, it's used a lot with, with students, and uh, it's used a lot with young people, and it's called apologetics. And uh, a preacher will give you reasons to believe, and uh, re evidence for the resurrection. I'm not against that. I, certainly at Easter time, I'm happy to use uh, evidence for the resurrection. But it doesn't make anybody a Christian. I could give a, a cogent, logical argument to prove that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. And you might say, well, that's very convincing. I, I think that you're right on this, and I believe on balance that he rose from the dead. That's not Christianity. That's a logical argument being imbibed by you, and it won't see you through this life, and it won't see you to heaven. But the real thing is this. God tells you. You've read it in the Bible. You've heard it preached. But suddenly in a meeting like this, it's as if he taps you on the shoulder. And uh, I tell you this, the real thing knows times of doubt as well. You understand that, don't you? Because sometimes, I'll, no, not sometimes, quite often I'll wake up in the morning thinking, is this really true? Do you know times of doubt? Do they come to you? Because the real thing knows times of doubt. 
But by the time I've had a shower and a cup of coffee, <laughs> it's true. It is true. Glory to God. But it's the Holy Spirit who revealed it to Peter. There's a, a lady down by the riverside here in Acts chapter 16, and uh, the Apostle Paul, he's preaching to a group of, of ladies down by the riverside. Here it is, Acts chapter 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. She's a businesswoman. She's pretty wealthy to be dealing in purple. Anyone wearing purple tonight? You're very well off if you are. Oh, I can see one or two yeah, bits of purple. Gentlemen there, young lady. Oh, couple there, both with purple. Yes, well... That was a particular dye 2,000 years ago that was hard to get, get hold of. Now, she worshipped God, we're told, but she, she was a religious lady. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So lots were listening, but the Lord, by His Spirit, lighted onto the soul of one. And she was able to grasp and understand what Paul was saying. It's a work of the Spirit and she was regenerated. She was born again. Elizabeth here, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, she said in a loud voice, Blessed are you among women. And this little baby, this little baby, hears the greeting and leaps within the womb. He leapt in my womb for joy. Now, how about you? Has it ever happened to you? Have you been on that path? If it's so long ago, or think back to the time you first saw and understood who Jesus Christ was, that first thrill and the joy. See, this little baby leaped for joy. Let's not be afraid of that word. I think it was this morning, pastor was speaking about joy. He's often speaking about joy. You know, it is a a touchstone of genuine Christianity. Let's keep it real. Let's keep joy real. Where is it? Where is it? This baby leaped for joy, born again before he was ever born. So there's the first lesson we can learn from this about regeneration. Recognizing who Jesus really is is a matter of a spiritual revelation. Second thing to learn, rather quicker, salvation is clearly from the Lord. Salvation is clearly from the Lord. There are some in Christian circles, and um, you know, when I was first converted, here's what I felt. I believed, therefore God gave me eternal life. I believed, therefore I was born again. I was in the service, I suddenly believed it was all true, and I asked God to forgive me, and because of that, He gave me new life. So I believed, and therefore I was born again. That's the order it seemed to be uh, to me. But then I read the Bible. And I read the Bible. And I find that I believed because I was born again. All right? And that's the right way around. The prime mover is God. And I'll tell you why it has to be that way, because the Bible's very clear. Because of sin, my friends, we are not sick we are not unwell. We are dead. Dead. 
And dead people don't do very much. If the fire alarm went off here and there was smoke coming out from the, uh, from the um, those pipes up there and the uh, flames started licking, well, Paul would be first out. All right? I'd be second. And, uh, but then we, we would make an exit. Who'd stay behind? Well, only dead people. They would be immune to any, any alarm or fear or smell of smoke. It really wouldn't concern a dead person because they're not ill. An ill person would make an effort and uh, start to stagger out. But dead people don't do anything. And that's the Bible description of you and me. You read the start of Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead. In your transgressions and sins. But, verse 4 of Ephesians 2, God made us alive. By grace you have been saved. So the prime mover is God. Salvation is clearly of the Lord. Regeneration. You must be born again. That does not preclude us from seeking Him. Nicodemus went seeking before he was born again. Drawn, I'm sure, by the work of the Spirit. So, the onus, my friend, if you're not saved tonight, is not to sit back and wait for something to happen. It's to seek Him. And the promise in Jeremiah 29, God says, you will seek me and find me. He doesn't mock you when you seek me with all your heart. So keep coming, keep praying, keep asking, keep reading, keep knocking until you're sure till you're sure that Jesus is the Son of God. He lived and died and rose again for you. Christmas time, we'll find the wise men. They came seeking Jesus. What a journey they took. thousand miles. More a mountain, fountain following yonder star on camels and weeks it would have taken them. Where is he? Where is he? Seeking him till they found him. Another lesson quickly. This section teaches us the youngest child can be saved. Who's the youngest person here tonight? You know, it, it is good to see children in a, in, a, in, a, in a preaching service. Now, it's great they have Sunday school. At St. Melons, we did things a little differently. I was used to having all the children in Sunday morning. And Sunday school followed the morning service. That brings other problems as well. Like, there's no easy way, all right? But from my point of view, to preach to children, what a thrill! And the questions that they would come and ask and send me, and uh, you were saying, and uh, what about? And oh, I, 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 I'd preach so they, I'd bring in SpongeBob and all sorts of things just to, to, to help. But the, the, the youngest child can be saved. Yeah, keep, Keep on praying. Keep on praying. And if they don't come in the morning, please bring them in the evening if you can. Get some matchsticks to keep their eyes open. We, we look to help in any way that we can, but it's great to preach to children. Oh, let the little children come. Do not forbid them for, to such belongs. Oh, Jesus took them in his arm and he blessed them. Where are you, children? Are you watching at home? I know there are lots of you in the life of the church. Parents, why don't you, you bring them? Are you at home as well with, with them? I know there are times when they, they can't possibly stay uh, awake. There's a wisdom needy, but I love to preach to children, okay? I love to preach to because the youngest can be saved. 
And it often happens under the preaching of the Word of God. So, oh, bring them whenever possible. Final little point I want to make is that uh, evidence of true conversion is true joy. Evidence. Now, it's not a fixed grin on our faces, but there's something, something wonderful about that reality burning in our hearts. We're going to finish after communion with a, a hymn. There's a hope that burns within my heart. Now, it brings a joy. It doesn't matter what the circumstances might be, and it's not a laughter joy, but it's, there's a solid joy. Solid joys and lasting treasures. Only Zion's children know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, not hatred, grumpiness, and division. Why? Why should I be joyful? I'm saved. I'm saved. Praise the Lord. I am saved. Let's keep that central in our thinking. When we feel the grumpiness start to rise, think about Jesus and all he's done for us. And the grumpiness. When I feel I want to make my point, think about Jesus. We're saved. Final question. Have you recognized who Jesus is? And what he's done? Has it happened to you tonight? At home? Is it that camera or that camera? That one at the back? This one here? You at home? Have you believed tonight? Do, do let us know. You might be in the world. Have you believed here tonight? Come and let me know in the little room there. Let everybody know you're coming to say you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief time in your word. Thank you for a good day in your house. Pray again for our pastor. You would restore him. Pray for us here. As your people, we would know what it is to keep that joy constant in our hearts. And for any here who are not saved, may they be ushered into the kingdom tonight, we pray to the glory of God of your name. Amen. Well, let's sing a concluding hymn, then we'll move into the communion service. Let earth and heaven combine, angels and men agree.
Father, for those who have to leave at this point, pray they'd leave this place knowing your peace, your presence, your protection. For we who remain behind for the, the Lord's Supper, pray that we would know your manifest presence, please, amongst us. Amen.